Uh, welcome back for tuning in. Uh, we decided to tune in a little bit shorter than our, our time frame of, you know, I think the last time it's been two or three weeks before. Um, so we've got a lot of amazing stuff to talk about uh, today. We're not going to really go whole, you know, explain what we're going to talk about. Um, that way you guys can all tune in and listen. Uh, the first topic is definitely going to want to be something you are going to going to want to join in. Uh, today we've got someone who hasn't been on, on the last couple podcasts. Uh, you know, life happens, busy. Uh, everybody, welcome back, Connor DeVoe. Hey! Woo! Where's the confetti? I know. We need to pop some champagne back here. I'm sorry. <laughs> beer, guys. I, I apologize for the Beers and Brews podcast. We've, I'm unfortunately you know, fresh out of confetti because it was eaten by the Trash Panda. Brought oh. to you by Metazoa Brewing. All right. Unofficial it. sponsor for today, Trash Panda. My favorite beer. Uh, if nobody had it, definitely try it. You like coffee, you like Blondales, go for it. It's a hundred percent of you know worth your worth your best uh, investment. Um, and Metazoa Brewing Company, everybody is like we've talked about it before. Small brewery um, here in downtown Indianapolis, just uh, on the east, just barely east of downtown. Uh, if you haven't tried it, definitely go check it out. Bring your dogs uh, during the spring, summer, uh, and then always grab a good fresh brew. And then they've always got a, a, a food truck that'll be out there as well uh, if you want to kind of grab some grub. So if you ever tried it out, definitely go for it. Um, and uh, But yeah, definitely go try out the Metazoe Brewing Company and again, try out Trash Panda. So thank you for the unofficial sponsor for today there, Connor. We appreciate it. Always happy to help. <laughs> All right. Connor, you started off with a pretty you know solid topic before we kicked off today's podcast. Well, why don't you start off with what what's been going on and with the ATP WT you know WTA issues? Sure. So in in, in the news recently, there's been a lot of discussion about um, pay disparity, um, specifically about the WTA and ATP, as with other sports. Um, and there was an interesting uh, point brought up recently. I, I I can't remember who brought it up, but I'm, I'm trying to find it. But um, basically comparing some of just the players within the WTA, for instance, and their compensation um, and how that sort of um, gives us a nice model of like how the branding and the overall product generates this market value. And, um, you know, at the micro level, you can say like it's someone like a Naomi Osaka who, while she is no longer the dominant player that she was, you know, she had, she's fallen below world number 100, I believe. She still is raking in so much money from sponsorships and endorsements and, you know, appearance fees and whatnot. Um, then comparing that to like the current top players and how they're just not even coming close. Um, and I, I just thought that was really interesting because it does bring to light one of the most popular, I think, counterpoints to the equal pay narrative in any sport, which is, oh, well, it's just the market value. Um, and so it, it's, it's sort of an interesting um, problem that tennis has that um, we need to find a solution to, I suppose. Yeah, that's kind no, of I mean, <laughs> sort of the, yeah, I uh, mean, it's... the topic, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I know that they've done, what is it, I think equal pay for the all majors, I believe. All major tournaments, I think, are all equal pay. So, you know, definitely U.S. Open, Roland, uh, 
Wimbledon, and I think Australian. I think before that bumped the women's up by what a million? I'm not sure the figure, but yeah, like I think it was like the Williams sisters kind of spearheaded that conversation with the majors, uh, what 15, 20 years ago. And so, yeah, all majors are equal pay. Um, yeah, and honestly, too, to like Connor's point, it's kind of hard because it's like, like a couple of examples I can think of, like that Doha event a couple months ago where Medvedev won, he pocketed a couple hundred thousand dollars and Iga got like 70K. And then what I just heard on another, uh, Another tennis article for Barcelona is Alcaraz got like 400,000, I think about for winning the event and Iga won that event too. And she got like a hundred thousand. So like literally, <laughs> I mean, significantly less. So it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, you look at that and you're like, wow, like that's, I mean, that's quite a, quite a disparity. And so one reason I think that, it, it's tough too because I, I don't know if you guys have followed this recently too. Is like you know like the Peng Shui situation that happened, um, what like almost what a year and a half ago, and the WTA was like we're not going to do any events in China until this gets resolved or whatever. Mm. They recently just lifted that because they had like a ten year contract with like the WTA finals and a bunch of other events, and that's very lucrative. And now I, I think it was just recently within the last couple of weeks the W2A is now back and they're going to be playing events in China. And that Peng Shui thing is just kind of dissolving. It just kind of went away. So I just think like it, it never really got resolved is from what I read in my understanding. So, but obviously it's a very lucrative contract and the WTA, I think is struggling a little bit. So mm -hmm. I just feel like they're, you know, just a couple of those examples and they feel like their hands are tied. I think a little bit too, just financially. And yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of a hard one. One way I feel like it could be potentially um, to where it could be more equal pay at those, those lower tier events is Federer and Nadal, I think given said a couple of years ago, we should combine the two tours. Like if the ATP and the WTA were like one governing body, that might be one way to where um, this could, you know, we could start maybe seeing the gap of pay close or ultimately become equal. Mm -hmm. That could be one way to do it. Um, but obviously, they, they, I would feel like they would have to continue. They, they kind of mentioned it, but they'd have to continue to spearhead the conversation. Um, so that's something, too, that I mean, we haven't heard much of Roger, obviously, since he retired. And Nadal is, you know, he, he's still playing, but still dealing with injury and stuff like that, too. So, um, but, yeah, it's one of those where, where it's tough. So, um, but, uh, but, yeah, you'd obviously like to see where it's, it's more of an equal pay and, um to where it's, you know, when, when players win events, no matter if they're a male or female, they're getting, you know, comparable uh, pay out of it. Yeah. So to, to, to sort of put, um, to put your point into context here, I, I just looked up some numbers. Uh, the annual revenue for, it's, it's a little bit outdated, uh, but I think it's the most recent information that at least this person could find when they put together this um, article. But in uh, the 2021 season, ATP took in $177 million in revenue, and the WTA took in about $88 million. Wow. So we're talking less than half, um, which is interesting because while the men's income has risen steadily, um, at least this author, I found on like tennisinfinity.com, um, but uh, this author is pointing out that uh, the women's 
revenue actually peaked in 2019. And I think that is when that situation happened in China, right? Was that, was that before or after the, uh, the pandemic? Maybe it was before. You could be, I know that when they, I'm not sure exactly, I thought it was at least a year and a half ago because the, because that WTA president was like, we, we will not participate. It actually, and it was, it was during the pandemic when he said that too, because okay. like, there was no tennis even going on at that time anyway, or they weren't, they weren't going to go over there anyway, but he was like, we won't participate in um, China tennis tournaments until this gets resolved. But obviously that's right. a lot of, a lot of money left on the table. I mean, it's, it's yeah. just weird. I wonder if it's just how they market themselves. You know how they well, push part of it could be the the, the uh, departure of Serena because she was such a transcendent athlete. I mean, she was the most popular tennis player, period. I would say, like male or female, and like a lot of. I mean, parts she's of the US. most dominant, a hundred percent. I mean, she dominated the women's tennis from the late nineties, ninety eight, ninety nine, till mm -hmm. twenty twenty two, and she retired. I mean, yeah, she's, wasn't, you could tell her last match, like the most watched WTA match of all time. Yeah, it was, like it was the U.S. Open. Yeah. But again, I mean, it's yeah. it was huge. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, you could definitely tell the last like I'd say probably two or three years of her career. She definitely was struggling with like, I think, staying uh, on. Probably like. footwork wise, I think it was I think it was, her footwork was definitely off. She just was not able to keep up with the the style play of some of the younger players. I think that was definitely causing some issues. You know, definitely having a kid changes your you know changes how you you know how you train, how you live your life. Um, yeah. You know, you get to that certain point, you're like, you know, what? I don't like, I don't want to keep traveling twenty four seven. Have my daughter go to all these places twenty four seven. Like, you want your daughter to see for see you for who you are. You know, not just as a tennis player, but as a, as a parent. You know, so you want to be more present. So I get why the reason why. Um, but I think a lot of it had to play with more of her physicality. Like she just yeah. was not able to keep up with some of the younger players. And clearly you can see with Iga, I mean, she's, she's a fucking boss. You know, she is just dominating women's tennis. So, I mean, you would think that someone that with the WTA, they would want to pay her more, you know, because she's just, she's dominating the women's game. So yeah. you would think that that would bring in some sponsorship, some money, coming in but clearly it's not even doing that at all you I know, wonder so she's if part of that other... will change with time because she's still relatively new to the scene and she didn't make quite the splash that like an Osaka made when she broke out yeah um, well, Osaka, Osaka won how many she won like what two two majors or so in a matter of like a year or two yeah didn't she win like two out of four I think she won U.S. and then she won Aussie that next year, didn't she? So back-to-back -back majors, yeah. I think you are correct. So that's huge. I mean, that's a, that's a big, yeah. you know, ego boost. You know, dollar sponsorship-wise, they see that. But as far as it goes for like Iga, I mean, she's won Roland Garros. Pretty certain she's won Australian Open. Mm -hmm. So. She's, she's the other got thing with the Osaka is that she's um, like such a, a like a national symbol in Japan too. Yeah. Well, I think maybe too. I mean, who knows with like the the new or the the sponsorship she has with the the company that Federer is invested in. 
on. Yeah, they signed her to that, so that could give her. Oh, they signed Ega. Yeah. Really. Yeah, she's a sponsor. So, like, I I think to your guys' point, like, I think they're just the W2A is kind of lacking a little bit of a, um, kind of like a dominant poster child. Like, I know like Emma Raducanu has had a lot of attention, but she's not. I mean, she obviously won the U.S. Open a couple years ago, but um, Mm -hmm. she's not that successful date week in week out. At least some of it's been negative attention too, if I've read correctly. It seems like she's uh, more often in the news for what she said about other players and for her play. Yeah, she is. She is a little mouthy, you know. So I could, I could see that. Well, it's the same thing with Layla Fernandez. I mean, Layla Fernandez hasn't Mm -hmm. done jack diddly squat since she made the final against Emma, and I mean, she's still getting notoriety with Babylon commercials, all that stuff. Well, you'd love to see that. You just like to see other players get that as well, I guess. So I don't know. I I I feel like maybe that's just me, but just from my firsthand perspective, I feel like women's sports has become more marketable um, as that stigma has started to lift a bit. And so maybe you know, in twenty years' time, this will all be like a a no point or whatever. But I just thought like. It was the last year. The WTA finals was in Austin, Texas. And I think literally two, three months before that event, they decided to host it there. Like just super last minute. I guess they had to pivot some stuff because of some China stuff going on or whatever. But like, I mean, barely any time, if any at all, to market the event. So obviously that event was a flop. So it's like, I just think that's one example of like the WTA being a little reactive as opposed to proactive. And one thing I definitely see a lot too, and I think it's just by mere chance that when it doesn't happen is a lot of times ATP matches, even finals will be on at the same time as WTA finals of other tournaments. And it's like most of the time, the casual fan is going to watch ATP. So clearly the ATP and the WTA are not on the same page. And that doesn't do the WTA in particular, any favors as far as, getting viewers. Um, so th- th- those are, to me, are a couple of examples as to why the WTA is just not, not thriving as much as it, it probably should be. No, I completely agree. I mean, it's definitely an interesting topic to, to discuss, for definitely the, to start it off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it definitely falls on. Maybe they just, it's their spur of the moment people. They don't plan things ahead, whereas ATP, who's ever in charge of that, runs it like the business. Like, okay, we've got these events for the year, so before the year even ends, they're already planning when to have these events, where they're going to have it at, what's going to go on, what 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 it's going to be, how are we going to market it. You know, they're already planning that ahead, whereas it feels like the WTA just kind of throws random times out there and be like, okay, we've got this tournament in a month. Okay, we've got this tournament in, you know, by the end of the month, by August. So, you know, it just kind of really all depends on how they push it out there. I think ATP does a very good job of pushing it out there so far to consumers. So that way they have a way to, okay, I see this tournament's going to happen. All right, do I want to go or do I not? You know, mm-hmm. you have time to, to set up for that. You know, the Masters 1000 tournaments all do a great job of that, but the 750 you know, 500 tournaments that are not ATP and WTA at the same time don't. 
So I think they're just kind of throwing it out there, and I feel like that they're just not pushing it out there as much. Because I feel so like I see more ATP commercials. Wouldn't. I mean, I feel like I see more ATP commercials than I do WTA commercials. I'm not sure I've seen a commercial for either outside of the tennis channel now that I think of it. Like if you go to ESPN, you'll see commercials on there every once in a while. They'll show that it's okay. all ATP. Nice. Okay. So they'll say the they'll say Madrid, you know, Madrid Open, but they'll it'll show more more men's more of the men's tennis than it will the women's, even though they're True. in the same facility. True. Yeah, and so I mean, put part of this is it's a self perpetuating situation at this point because the men draw in more money and have more sponsorship dollars, therefore they can pay more money to get better locations advertise better you know set dates better like in, more in the future and then that will come back to them in more revenue yeah but i feel like as the ceo of a company like you should see and be like you know what let's put more dollars on this and mm -hmm. spend money where it comes in because clearly the atp is doing something that the wta is not and that's market themselves yeah. so you, know, then you need to market those... them solve both problems could be because I mean clearly they like I said the ATP's got their they have their top priority of pushing out you know who's gonna who the the, the biggest thing I think is what is what they show is who's gonna be at the tournament. Yes, you know I feel like they try to really hit hard of who's gonna be there, you know. Whereas the WTA does not, you know. You could see mm -hmm. you know you could try to look at a tournament and go okay yeah I see this person's gonna you know they're showing this commercial okay this person's got to be there but they're not even there at all they're not even playing in the tournament. So it's like that's why really show interesting to think about because like that's what, yeah the general so, impression of women's tennis over the last 10 years like to the casual observer is that you know other than serena there has been next to no consistency at the time and so you wonder you know how much of that is branding or are they just more difficult to brand because there hasn't been the consistency so you know if you're only top 10 for six months is pretty difficult to you know build a marketing campaign around you two months or sorry two years in advance i think yeah. i <laughs> i think that's what it is cotter too like it is hard when it's like you don't have consistent performance like i think when ash barty retired that really hurt the wta um and i mean obviously Iga stepped up to the plate and i think too it, it could be too where at least from like a marketing and building uh building players up standpoint when you got Iga, Sabalenka, Rabakina, those three players have been consistently getting to semis and finals this this first half of the year so far they they they're I so I will say there has been a little more consistency around those three players this year so far so like mm -hmm. if that kind of continues and they get and the WTA can kind of build them up a little bit if they continue to I mean because you know Iga's I mean, she just won Stuttgart and Sabalenka was in the final, you know, um, you know, Ange Jabur, if she, if she can continue, or I know she's had a bit of an injury setback, but like, yeah, you know, those players, if they can continue to be consistent, like they have been the last three or four months, that could potentially help with marketability. But I think counter to your point, it's like, there just hasn't been like a consistent player. Like it's just been spurts of a player getting hot and then they fade away a little bit. Um, so, you know, something like that, but potentially those three players I mentioned, if they continue to, to play well and develop these rivalries and they're consistently meeting each other in latter stages of events, 
I think that could help with brands maybe leading leading into them a little bit more and, and bringing a little yeah. more here to the to the sport. I mean, look at Paula. So like they were showing like Madrid is you know kind of like her hometown type type style of tournament, you know, because that's like close to where she's from, um, you know, and she was. 2021, 2022, I think she was number five in the world and she's, she's now 26. So it's like, just shows you the disparity of how, how far she's dropped from in a year time span. Time frame. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely tough to push out something, but you still have to push it out there. Yes. They may not be the top of the level, but you're still going to want to push it out there because they are the, the future of the WTA, you know, yeah. whether that's Iga or whether that's, you know, Paula Badosa or, you know, uh, Sabalinka, you know, they are the future of the WTA. You're not going to get anywhere without them. So you need to market some of those younger players and even market some of the ones that are young, like hit, like honestly push Coco Golf like, like crazy because oh, she's yeah. very up and coming. Yeah. But she still doesn't, I, st I feel like she still doesn't get the exposure, but she's, she's still doing. I mean, she's still making pretty deep runs in tournaments consistently, so she's playing consistent, you know, and she's been climbing up the ranks for, what, she was, what, 100 last, was it two years ago, a year ago, I think? So she was, like, two maybe years just ago, outside man. the 100, like, I think she was, like, 114 or something, and now she's, like, within the top, like, I think top 20. So that just shows you in a year span how quick she went by just making tournament runs, you know, and that's who they need to hit. Someone that keeps consistently doing doing better and improving, they need to hit that market. Because it's the same thing with with the, you know, the, the men's tennis, you know, with Carlos Alcarez. You know, I feel like they were looking at him consistently and be like, okay, this guy's this guy's good. Let's really push him hard to to market and look at look at how it paid off. I mean, the guy's just a total, total baller. So <laughs> <laughs> but is that just because he's that good? Like, is he just that transcendent of a talent? And so, like, if we had a talent like that, we just see that in the WTA side. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at, I mean, I would say the, the most dominant person that's kind of similar is Iga, honestly, yeah. without, you know, since Ash Barty's retired, unfortunately. You know, yeah, that's why. On a, you know, but seriously, I mean, Iga on just, in, I mean, really any surfaces, she's just totally dominating. You know, I don't know what her game is on, on grass. You know, I don't know how she did last year at Wimbledon, but, you know, clearly from Pat's, you know, point of view, uh, for everybody who's not, you know, we're, we don't do, we, it's all video. It was apparently very, very trashy and uh, thumbs down. So, you know, it's maybe that's, that's where she needs to improve. Um, but I think the rest of her game, you know, hardcore play, she's a, she's good, you know, but grass courts only maybe an eighth of the, yeah. You know, of the of, it's very, 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 very minuscule. It's only June and July, and that's it. You know, so it's literally like maybe a month and a half, if that. You can basically skip it if you want. I mean, I feel like there have been quite a few players over the years that like might show up every once in a while at Wimbledon or something, but pretty much take off the whole grass season and just concentrate on play. Yeah. I mean, Pat and I were talking on the last podcast, you know, uh, they're kind of that. Honestly, Clay's probably a quarter, a good quarter of the season. Yeah. You know, so I mean, they play from. Mm. I mean, they even play early tournaments in like 
February for clay, you know, February, March. And then there, then that, you know, the, some of them are playing the hard courts because that's, le you know, leading into Miami and Indian Wells, you know, but then as soon as those end, it's clay, 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 like hard. Yeah, this could probably be on another podcast for sure, because I can definitely get down a rabbit hole with this. But like, oh, yeah, it's it blows my mind that literally it's the grass court season is just like a pimple on the tour's ass. Like, I just don't understand why it's so short, why there isn't like a Masters 1000 event leading up to Wimbledon. Like, I'm sure at this point, too, I'm sure to like extend the grass court season and maybe have a scenario like that play out. I'm sure it's a scheduling nightmare, but I just think that it just blows my mind. I mean, it, it kind of adds to the prestige a little bit of grass, the grass season because it is so short and it's like, it's such a contrast to clay that it's like, if you can, you know, transfer your game from the dirt to grass and be successful, like there's something to be said about that. And it's really impressive. Um, and it makes you kind of appreciate grass a little more, but I definitely think in my opinion, it should be longer and you should throw a 1000 in there. But that's just me. But I mean, I think a lot of it's just because people don't like playing on the grass. I think that's the issue because the grass, there's no ball bounce. You know, it can take really weird, real weird bounces and just like slide. So I think that's the issue is that people are the two or maybe some of the guys just are like, I don't, I fucking hate this shit. You well, know, they don't, I, they don't I, play I, on it enough. I think it's because they don't play on it enough. Like when you're only they do. They, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, I thought it's how. What is how? It's seven, a five hundred, seven fifty. Well, yeah, they're all they're five hundreds and two fifties. All of the. Uh, yeah. Really. So like there, just, there, there aren't that many venues. Like, how many options are there really for like a, you know, world class grass venue? I mean, that's true. I think like, they should throw something in like the Bahamas, man. Just get something, yeah. get something kind of exotic going. Just I feel like the, okay. the like the maintenance cost has to be a huge factor. Oh God, I don't, I don't even want to know what it costs to just maintain the the grass. Make sure it looks. I mean, I bet you Wimbledon maintain. I bet you they spend every bit of six figures a year to just oh, get, to, if not more, to make easy. it from what it looks like after Wimbledon to get it back to what it was. Because they're, you know, they have seasons over there in London, so they have to get it prepped back and ready, and open pray that the glass looks immaculate. And it's they, they always do, but I couldn't imagine right. and fitting that bill. So it's, I think it's a, I think it's a money issue, because yeah. it, it costs a ton of money to really? upkeep. Yeah. So, so we've got to find some kind of like, some surface that's close enough to grass in order to expand the season. Because otherwise, like, how, how are you going to expand that into you know the warmer climates or the cooler climates? um you know without these massive costs because like outside of doing like what the premier league does with their natural grass fields like and as far as i know you like you can't play grass court tennis on like astroturf no because the ball it's that rubber will bounce to, it'll it'll have a funny right. bounce yeah so like unless there's a a lower cost alternative i'm not sure there's really a the possibility of expanding the grass court season it'd be plus, hard i mean plus if you say lower cost to like the wimbledon committee they're going to be like what's that like, yeah do they don't care premium or bust <laughs> yeah i would say the coolest thing would be i don't know if anybody's seen you know talking about grass and how dominant uh you know roger was and to compare you'll go from play to grass and do so well 
Uh, do you see he just has two? I think he just partnered up with uh, Oliver Peoples. I did not see that. He did. He just, uh, it's coming 2024. He'll have uh, Oliver Peoples will be a uh, sponsor for Ro with Roger. Uh, this, I've looked, they're all Italian made, but they're like $600 sunglasses. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, is, they're like, is that, four, is that one of the Ray Ban companies? That, no, uh, that or, I don't know. Or the Oliver, companies, I should say. That I don't know. I just know it just said Oliver Peoples. It's it's that's the brand of, of the sunglasses. It's, it's called Oliver Peoples. Yeah. But like I think the cheapest sunglasses I saw were like three hundred and sixty bucks. That was on the cheap end. They went up to like eight hundred dollars. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that's that's they are a Luxottica brand. Yeah. God. That's... Dude, that's that. Now, now we're getting super far off topic, but that's one of the craziest things, like just random fun facts, is like Luxottica, who bought Ray-Ban, they own like 95% of the like sunglasses. <laughs> that, that's absurd. Like if, you, if you name a brand, like any designer brand, their sunglasses are made by Luxottica. That's absurd. That's impressive wow. as well. Yeah. So Roger's profile is about to get fat. Yeah, fatter than it already was. Fatter. Um, <laughs> well, like I said, so we've we've talked about the, the the three you know big players there. You know the goats twenty four seven. Uh, they definitely can't be talked about, but um, you know we can definitely talk about. I don't know if anybody else saw. Did anybody watch the Barcelona final? Oh yeah, Matt. I know you were. Me and you were texting back and forth. Connor missed it. Oh. I have, I have not been seen. super plugged in recently, unfortunately. Dude, come on, man. You got to come in clutch. I know, man. I got my NBA playoffs going on. <laughs> Dude, I don't really watch NBA, but I have been watching a lot of the playoffs recently. I know we're getting off on crazy tangents here, which I kind of <laughs> love, but but I have been watching a lot of play. Anyways, Barcelona file, final. Kyle, what are your thoughts? Oh, my gosh. I've never seen someone be more dominant on clay. And you know, tell a uh, little sit, little you know, dummy, dummy, sitsy pass, you know, the to go, you know, f off pretty much, because he just like, I mean, he made it, he made it like like it was a like it was a walk in the park and a breeze. I mean, the he was he was drop shotting sitsy pass, and it made it he made it look like he wasn't even ready for it, and he and he knew it was going to come at some point, just didn't know when. That was the problem. Dude, it was honestly like I actually I haven't watched much of Alcaraz to be honest with you. Like I've seen highlights of matches and stuff, and a couple matches I've seen him play. But I watched this one, and I was excited because, like, honestly, especially with like Djokovic is injured, Rafa is injured. It's like Alcaraz is like the guy to be on the dirt, but like who's legit on clay at least in the past has been Sitsipas. He's like in my mind like the only other guy that could probably challenge him. And so I was looking forward to this match. And dude, Alcaraz just, I mean, he just toyed with him. Like it was, Sitsipas actually broke him a, a couple games in. I was like, all right, this could be a little bit of a, a battle. And then literally Alcaraz righted the ship right away. And then I literally, the drop shots, like Connor, Alcaraz had like 12 drop shot winners in the match. It was absurd. Like just, oh dude, God. it was, 
insane. I was like, dude, this guy is, it was just, and it's not that Sitsipas played that badly. It's just Alcaraz is on another level. Like he's, he's like Rafa 2.0 right now. Especially on clay. It was just like, there was, and it was weird too, because like when I was watching that, Sitsipas, when he played Djokovic in the Aussie final, he just didn't seem that amped. And he wasn't, he didn't seem like he was going to, he was ready to like grind to try to win the title. Same thing in Barcelona. Like I just, I, I didn't get that angst. I don't think there was anything on that given day that Sitsipas could have done to win the match, but I just didn't sense fight in him at all. Like he just seemed there. And so I was a little disappointed with kind of like his moxie during the match. Um, I think, yeah, I think Alcaraz would have won regardless, but it's just like, dude, I feel like you, you just need to show a little bit more fire a little bit. And so, Isn't that like a common thing with him? It is, but I, I don't know. I just, it's just when he, to me, when he first came on the scene and like the last, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Javi is just exploring. Oh, like, Go get wrecked, dad. He, he's he destroying these things. <laughs> No, but since he passed up like a strut about him, and this is when he was a little more successful um, a couple of years ago, but I don't know. He just, he just kind of seemed to go through the motions in that match. I was just a little disappointed um, just with his, his overall approach to it. So, but Alcaraz, dude, he's just, he, he, he's impressive as hell. I think he's, he's the guy. And honestly too, like you would think with Novak and Rafa injured, the French Open is like it's wide open. There's so many guys that could win the, the the major. Not in my mind. I think Alcaraz is just here, and everybody else is here right now. He's got to be the favorite. Do they have Andre? Yeah, I think he's. So, I, mean, he's I know on, on the sports betting he is. Um, I mean, they even talked about like, you know, Nadal out, Djokovic out. You know, yeah. is Alcaraz the new top player? And honestly, you know, Pat, you know, we talked about it on uh, during the match on Sunday. You know, some of the shots that he was hitting, I don't think Rafa didn't have an actual, like, legit, like, decent drop shot until he was in his, like, I'd say mid to upper 20s. That's yeah. when he could really hit that drop shot. Alcrest is hitting at, at 19. Dude, he's got such a, he's such a complete game already at his age. Like, it was, I honestly think, like, particularly uh, for Djokovic, if he were to kind of make hay on, like, the history of tennis and continue to try to win majors, he's got like another year, maybe year and a half before Alcaraz completely develops. Because when Alcaraz works out a few more kinks, he's gonna run the fucking table for the ATP world. So if I'm if I'm Joker, I'm like I, I got to try to bag a few more majors now because Alcaraz, dude, he's he's already arrived for sure. But he's yeah. he's just he's he's just next level compared to everybody else. So I I think he's even even with Novak. And Rafa may be in the French Open draw. Alcaraz is my pick, for sure. Oh, I I completely agree. I mean, it's it's wild to see how he how dominant he's been. Um, I mean, even even his movement on clay is just so much smoother than than Rafa. You know, I mean, he just yeah. he just makes it look effortless and easy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I you you hit the nail on the head. Honestly, I mean, Djokovic definitely has to win something because Alcaraz is coming and his coach Juan Carlos Ferrero is just I think he took a lot of what he didn't have one because Juan Carlos was not a terrible player he was what top top 10 yeah he won a friend he won the French Open 20 yeah years so ago. he 
Yeah, so I think he was top ten. I think at one point he was good. I think he was the number one, actually. Oh, did he? What, Maybe very briefly. Um, okay, so like, just very very quick. But even then, I mean, I think he saw something in in Alcaraz that pushed him over the top. He's like, okay, we're going balls to the wall and we're not stopping. So, and honestly, I mean, you can see it in his game. You know, whatever he's done, his serve is definitely. Uh, it's not the most powerful serve. Uh, you know, Alcaraz, I think, can definitely improve on, on the service a little bit. But everything else, I mean, the movement, the volley skills, you know, Rafa, again, Rafa didn't have to have volley skills at 19 years old. He was just winning, you know, forehand and backhand shots because he could move people 24-7. He didn't need volleys. You know, and then he'd come in and take a volley. He'd, he'd win the point every once in a while, but he was he was playing baseline to base. He was playing baseline to baseline 24-7. Yeah. That's how he was playing a lot of his points. Alcaraz is not afraid to come in and volley. He'll volley when, you know, do that way. He gets back to shot. I mean, it's, it's, it's astronomical what he gets to and what he hits that you're, you know, you looking and you're just going, what the fuck just happened? You know, I mean, he hit that shot at against, uh, Bautista Agu, yeah. you know, and Bautista, you know, Agu's not a terrible, I mean, he's a, he's a solid clay court player. Um, Dude, but he just did strong. like, um, do what? RBA's a bro. He can ball. I know. I mean, he's, he's top what? Top 10? He was top I mean, 10 at one time. Top five. No, that. he was top five at one time, I think. I think he made the top five list at one point. Very, very brief. And then I think he went back to the top, uh, you know, top 10. But he, I mean, Alcrez hit a shot that, you know, clearly no way in hell anybody should have got to. And it was a backhand reach that was just a flick of the wrist and won it. I mean, oh, yeah, what I do you do? I mean, you just look at it and go, "What? Holy shit!" <laughs> I mean, I I would just I, at that point I'd be like, you know what? I'm done. Like, I can't. I, I, there's no way if you're getting and hitting those shots in a match. At that point, I'm like, you know what? There, I'm not. I know I'm not winning this match. And honestly, too, not that like Alcaraz needs more confidence right now, but by winning Barcelona, it's the first. Time he's 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 defended the title. Um, really? So he's gone back to back Barcelona. He won Madrid last year, so he's got great mojo going into the event. And I think it's definitely it's his. I don't. It changes the dynamic a little bit because of the altitude. So guy, like you're, it's not like your traditional clay court event because I feel like Madrid has like really no bearing on the French Open. <laughs> like if a guy comes in, in my opinion, and runs the table for Madrid. Um, I, I, I don't think it's like the best indicator for like their, their French open projection. Cause it's not, it's just not, the conditions are so different than they are in Paris, but I think it's, it's one of those, see, even in Madrid, you might see, you know, Rublev or, uh, Runa or, um, I mean, maybe even sits a possible, but make a little more of a push at Madrid, but he's still, Carlos is still my pick. To, to, to win that event. Is Carlos playing in Madrid? Yeah, he's the top seed. From what I've seen, I've watched the tournament since it started Monday. I have not seen him play at all. So this is, so the beef the I was alluding to earlier is when they combined events, the top 32 seeds all get buys. So right now, all these first round matches, all these top seeds are getting buys. Even fucking Ben Shelton is a seed and he gets a buy i mean the what? guy is yeah the guy's won like 
one clay court match in his whole career. He's getting a bye at a Masters 1000. So that's probably – that's why you haven't seen Carlos play yet because they just they're, – they're getting through these first rounds. Yeah, it looks like Shelton's playing on uh, Saturday. <laughs> so, like, it's – That's it's his first match? Yeah, uh, the first one I could see. I, I didn't see Alcaraz on there. Um, and then just to, to catch up random um, stat checking, um, Alcaraz is the favorite for the French Open right now. He's plus 150. Second best is Djokovic plus 240. Third is Nadal plus 430. Um, and then Juan Carlos Ferrero was world number one. There you go. Very briefly, though. Yeah, it was, it was like, not uh, very long. Dude. Eight weeks. Dude, 03 French Open champ, 03 U.S. Open runner-up. The dude was a bro. That was good. Is correct. And he won the Davis Cup three times. Dude. And so, plus, he, he he looks the same as he did uh, 20 years ago. I think that's his best accomplishment. Yeah, it looks like it. I mean, he, yeah. he turned pro in 98, which is uh, much later than I would have expected, actually. I just think right now as like a coach, you know, yes, you're, let's say you had a, a good career, decent, nothing fancy. I would count it as a top solid win knowing that the person you're coaching now, like at, from a player standpoint, knowing the, like you're, if your player is Carlos Alcaraz, that's who you're coaching. Like I would take more as, as a player, you would take more pride in coaching that because there's his game. Like I said, it's just natural. There's no, hesitancy there's no issues mm -hmm. he just it's whatever he's got he's got pure athleticism and i think that's why honestly him hiring juan carlos ferrero which i hope he never gets rid of him which i don't think he will was probably one of the greatest things he's done because he's pushed him to that level to be number one and i mean like i said i think at this point i, I would say probably by next year you know if not by by u.s open you could see i could see alcarez probably winning another another major if he doesn't win Wimbledon or French. Um, you know, I think he could definitely win another two, which is definitely going to put pressure on Novak because Novak's game is definitely more of a all-around. But, again, the shots that, you know, you can't – he slides into shots, you know, kind of like an Alcaraz does, but Alcaraz is younger, more mm -hmm. agile, quicker. So that's going to cause Novak to have some issues, and I think he's going to struggle. Well, dude, it's... One can only hope. <laughs> honestly, I mean, Novak, he's... Especially for Clay. I mean, he's he's got he's got the elbow right now. I mean, he's... Yeah. He's, he's not playing Madrid. Who, know, who knows if he's playing Rome? I mean, his... I don't think so. His his clay court season is not, not looking sexy by any means. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't... I, I don't really expect much. He, I mean, he has gone into the French before with not so great form um, and has done well and has, and has won. You know, the I think it was 20, 2021, even the last time he won it. I think he, he didn't look too great throughout the clay court season then he ended up winning the event. But so, I mean, but he's also older and Alcaraz <laughs> wasn't in the draw for those. So, yeah. Chase him, so, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, Djokovic is a, definitely a question mark. I think if he's if he's gonna if he's gonna make some sort of push at Roland Garros, in my mind, he's got to he's got to play Rome. He's gonna be get a few more matches in him. 
few more matches. I think more time on court for Alcaraz. You know, more time to be prone. You know, for injury since he's been battling that the last couple of tournaments. Um, you know, definitely Clay is a little bit easier on the body, a little bit easier on the on the on, on stuff. But you know, longer you you are out on, out there on court, the more you know possibilities that you can get injured and cause an issue to where you're not at 100 percent playing into the next tournament or the into the next match. So I think that's the thought. Yeah, I'm starting to second guess that man with all of the. Um... You know, um, oh, what, what's uh, load management going on in the NBA and people just getting injured anyway? NBA is a bunch of they're. I'm not a fan. They're just they can they can have a hurt thumb and they're like I'm out for two for, for four no. I'm weeks. talking like major injuries are happening in a higher clip since they've been playing less. So yeah, there's it's, some interesting stats out there. Uh, same thing with the NFL, like you. Like, you know how you feel like everyone's, like, going down with ACLs all of a sudden? Yeah. It's a real thing from um, COVID season. So I'm, I'm starting to wonder whether the uh, traditional narrative is even correct for load management. Yeah. I mean, again, it's definitely interesting to see yeah. and, and realize. But, yeah, I did not know that. It is. A yeah, I just, I can, yeah. I've never been a big fan of the NBA. I think they're a bunch of whiners and crybabies. They, you know, like I said, they could they could play for two or three games in a row. They'll hurt their thumb and they'll be like, well, doctor said I'm out for two weeks. Really? Two weeks for a thumb? Yep. Sorry. That's another two weeks right there. I'm out for four now. Have fun paying me millions of dollars. I'm going to sit on this bench. Tell us how you really feel, Kyle. You don't. You guys don't want to know how I feel about the NBA. The the, the struggles of an NBA player. Yeah, go go I'm back to what you the probably think they play was. No defense too. They don't. There's no defense. That's why the games are 140 something to 135. That has nothing to do with the fact that it's literally college. Go back to what? Go back to early time frames where you know you've got Pete Sampras, you know, getting sick on on, on the side of the court, throwing up and still winning a match. Give me those guys. Love it. Yeah. Aussie. That's pure. Yeah. That's pure sport. That's pure yeah, adrenaline. That's your color, love for the game. <laughs> you know, and going out there, it. even though you feel like total dog shit, and you, and you just don't care. You're like, ah, fuck it, I got it. That's right. Rub some dirt on it. And uh, exactly. Jimmy gets buckets mentality. I mean, that's how you got to play, man. It's it's go big or go home. So, so you're telling me you're a Heat fan? No, I'm just saying I'm or anything. Dude, dude, Miami's vibing, man. I, I know Giannis didn't play a couple couple games, but still upsetting the one seed. I mean, statement. Jimmy Butler, dude, he's a former bull. You know, I'm a little partial to him. He just true. He has been a beast. He's basically the Carlos Alcaraz of uh, NBA right now. He's <laughs> playing like it. <laughs> dominating uh, oh man alright well we went on some major tangents there on that one NBA we went from tennis to a completely totally different sport of the NBA dude we gotta talk about real quick I want you guys take I mean especially when we talk clay we've kind of talked you know mentioned him briefly but Rafa I mean that hip injury he sustained at Aussie it was supposed to be like 
a six to eight week recovery. He's on like three months in of this injury and he's still injured, it would appear, because he's not in be the so tricky, man. Has he yeah, stepped on the court at all? I don't even know if he's been training or not. He hasn't really, he hasn't, I mean, he hasn't posted any videos. He hasn't really talked about, but he's, he's apparently still injured. Um, and he's trying out, he, like that last video he posted, he's, he's trying a new treatment. Like he's, he's, he's reaching out to different specialists or doctors to try to still treat this, this injury. And it's like, we're, we're a month away from the French at this point. Like, I don't, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he's even going to play the French, if it's worth it for him to even try to play. Cause it explains why he's the third uh, favorite instead of the second or first. Yeah. Cause he just, I mean, I don't, I don't even know. I think it's, I, I think they're just doing that out of respect because he's such a beast. He's been such a beast at the French, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, you know, he's, he hasn't played the clay court season at all. So mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of worried about, I, I don't even know if he's going to play or if he's even, if he's even going to really, I mean, if he steps on the court, you obviously, he's going to be a threat just no matter oh. what, but I don't know. It's just, I'm a little concerned with his, uh, his status, you know, in, uh, in his hip? it's just, it's, it's that hip injury he sustained at the Aussie. He needs to talk to, uh, Andy Murray, the hip, you know, metal hit boy. Look at him on the court. Well, hopefully he doesn't have to go that route because uh, well, I'm just saying talk to his doctor, figure it out. Yeah. What's going on? I mean, that's the doctor yeah. you want, you're going to want to talk to. I mean, Dude, Murray had, be had, crazy, double hit, though. had double hit like, replacement. Look of, at uh, him now. You know, like I was just thinking like Bo Jackson. Yeah. Like he was the most athletic guy in NFL or MLB. And then he had one hip injury and he's like barely as a professional afterwards. You're just never going to be the same. I mean, it, it, I just I agree. Happen. I mean, so I mean, in tennis, your hips are your main. Up. I mean, your like your hips are your injury. main source of power. So you yeah. need every bit of your hip movement and that that mobility. You know, because it's that's part of your core. You know, if you don't have that, I mean, you can definitely tell with Murray's game. It's definitely more. You know, his he can't he can't rotate like he used to, and you can see it from his backhand. You know, his forehand's still the kind of the same. It wasn't really much of a rotation, but you can definitely tell in his backhand it's more of a, a kind of all all like upper body, less hip movement now. I would just love if he somehow just was able to play the French and then he wins it. He gets to 23 and then Alcarez, who inevitably will go on a tear and dominate tennis that he'll deny joker another major and rafa ends up with the, the grand total <laughs> that's the scenario i would love rafa just gets cortisone shots in between sets whatever he needs to do to play and then <laughs> alcarez just ends up you know being he already kind of is the guy but just denying novak any more majors <laughs> and we that and we end up with that 23 22 and 20. i'd be good with that i'd be fine with it well, you guys are all for non, you know, Blovac. So, yeah, Blovac, Blovac believers. <laughs> I love his he's talent. I mean, he, he, he's definitely one of the best ever. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. So, but that's right. just me. But Rafa, I'm nervous, man. I'm pulling for him, but 
Dude, if he if he doesn't play Rome, I mean it's it's uh, it's not looking vibey. All right. Well, I think that concludes today's podcast. I think we've done a pretty solid job. You know, we covered a lot of topics. You know, Connor, thank you for the topic for today, you know, for the very kickoff uh, for a little bit. That was definitely, you know, very, very informative um, and, and and interesting to listen to um, and, and, and talk about. Uh, so that definitely was cool to see um, and definitely try to get, get people's way in. You know, hopefully as, as they listen to it, maybe they think more and figure out some options of what's physically going on. Uh, so appreciate that uh, as a result. And then, you know, we'll, we'll continue. We'll, you know, we'll lead out, you know, for today, uh, definitely tune in. Um, I would say probably we won't be tuning in until almost closer to the French open. If not, maybe that the week before, um, you know, that would be over Memorial day weekend. So we'll maybe try to tune in maybe during that week. Uh, we'll have a full staff. Hopefully um, if we can get this, get everybody go, you know, on and going. You know, Connor, hopefully we can have you going, you know, on and and Marty, you know, Marty's been kind of kind of, you know, MIA. He's got, you know, got family that he's taken care of, you know, vacations. So that kind of takes precedent over over what, you know, us, you know, Jagaloons are doing here. But, you know, jabronis. But other than that, you know, it's definitely a uh, interesting time for for tennis wise to see, you know, the, the young guns come up, you know, definitely Carlos Alcaraz along with everybody else. So. I think this French Open is definitely going to be one to watch. Um, you know, I don't like it. We, we talked about last time, you know, Casper Ruud probably won't. I don't think we'll make the finals again. I think that was a one one time uh, specialty. But again, we'll, so we'll have to see what happens. We'll tune in. Uh, everybody tune in before, like I said, probably the week before the French Open. And uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about. Uh, Rome will be happening and going on. And we'll get everything taken care of there. So, Connor, thanks for for tuning in. We're glad to have you back. You know, it was definitely uh, miss missed having you here. Always glad to join, especially when it's brought to you by Trash Panda. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, Connor, again, thanks for thanks for being for for joining. Like you said, hopefully we'll have you on the next one. You know, Pat, you're at every every one. I don't think you've missed one yet. <laughs> they call me Old Faithful. <laughs> I think the next time we'll have a uh, special and surprise guest here, guys. Um, won't bring, won't tell anybody yet, but uh, I think Roger we're going to bring in maybe, a, maybe uh, I'd be glorious, maybe a surprise guest. You know, one or maybe one or if not two. So tune in. Uh, hope you guys can can be joining in. Uh, the people here at the podcast uh, do not even know who those would be. Uh, but there, everybody here is definitely interested. So hopefully we'll have one, um, if not, maybe two joining us in on, on the podcast for the, for the next time. So please keep joining in guys, but definitely tune in, uh, in a couple weeks, uh, about a month, we'll get everything going. Uh, Chavi, no more, uh, you know, sharp plants, please. I'm definitely, uh, going to be feeding him before the next Davi, <laughs> his expert analysis is much appreciated this evening. Yeah, I know. He's definitely that. enjoyable to watch. He always feels welcome to add his. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, keep tuning in, and uh, we'll keep putting out content for you guys. Y'all have a wonderful night. <laughs>